recording this, so it'll be on uh, the podcast later if you need to come back and check it out again. This is such a good series. Uh, I loved going through Ruth with you guys last semester. Esther is going to be great this semester. We're going to do half a chapter a week. So we may kind of eke into the summer a little bit. I don't know what that looks going to look like exactly, but that may be if some of you guys are back in town, we might meet in person and, and keep the Zoom up as well. But it's just going to be great. It's going to be a great time. We'll, we'll kind of see um, what that looks like. But so let's look at a couple of big themes in Esther, and then we'll jump into the verse by verse. Does that make sense? Cool. So the first theme to check out here, which is really interesting, in Revelation, you know, we've been talking a lot about genre, right? So Ty, what genre is Revelation? Apocalyptic. Good. It's apocalyptic. Esther, and this is going to blow your mind, and, but, I've, but I've heard from, so this scholar in this big book, and this scholar in this book both say, and another big book over there, Esther is actually a comedy, okay? So think like Shrek and like, I don't know, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Like, if you know, there's romance involved. Maybe that's like a more of a rom-com kind of thing. But Esther is literally a comedy. Um, now, it's not a comedy. Now, there are some funny moments, but I don't, I mean, it's not like spit out your drink funny or anything, but it's like, but here's what's interesting and why Esther is a comedy. Esther is a comedy because it's going to show us that the very forces in Esther that try to destroy God's people, they actually end up destroying themselves instead. Okay. And we'll see this, the, the very things that are trying to destroy God's people actually end up destroying themselves. Um, they're very forces that try to destroy God's people actually end up delivering God's people. So the very things that are, that are threatening to destroy God's people in the end actually end up delivering God's people. And, and so and in God's hands, the very things that try to threaten us actually end up delivering us. The things that threaten the most to tear us away from God actually are the things that the Lord uses to drive us the closest to Him. Does that make sense? So it actually strengthens our relationship with the Lord in the long run. And we'll see this as we go, okay? You'll see this as we go. Don't think if you missed part of what I said. Well, one, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast. But also, you'll see this as we go. So Esther's a comedy. Esther is also the most, and this is, this is in quotes, the most secular book of the Bible. And by secular, you know, so Sydney, if something is secular, what does that mean? What's going on there? Like without God. Yes. Godless, a, sort of. Godless. It's a godless book. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Esther very famously is the only book in the Bible that does not mention God. His name is not mentioned at all. Lord, God, Almighty, you know, Adonai, none, none of it. There is no, there's not even a reference to God in the book, okay? Which is really cool because um, it is, it's the most secular book in the canon, and but it's not literally. So an example that I use is, and this is not, this is not the right example, but it helps give you the picture. Um, Kristen's dad passed away 
a few years ago. And so we left his chair empty at Thanksgiving, but the silence coming from that end of the table was deafening. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Even though he wasn't, the fact that he wasn't there made him put him on everybody's mind. Does that make sense? And in the same way, when the author of Esther doesn't mention God's name, it's all you think about. Okay. It is, it makes him that much, it makes you that much more aware of him. Right. Um, like if you have a birthday party for somebody and you forget to invite them there, the, this is the biggest thing. Um, so it's a, it's a literary tool. He's doing it on purpose. Okay. He's making a point. And it actually is so cool because think about it. The book of Esther has more in common with our everyday lives than any other book of the Bible because God is, is unnamed and he's working in the ordinary. There are no miracles in Esther that's kind of similar to Ruth. There are no, there's no parting of the sea. There's no burning bush. There's no one rising from the dead. There's no one being miraculously healed. Esther the book of Esther works through a lot of partying, a lot of alcohol, a lot of political backstabbing. Um, it's kind of like a great TV show, honestly. Um, but is that not like our lives? Because, you know, Ty and Caleb, just there's tons of alcohol and partying. I'm just kidding. It's what I mean by that is in our lives, it's just a regular day. God isn't really mentioned a lot, and yet he has done all these incredible things. It's just like our life. Esther's life, this book of Esther, is so like our lives, which we don't really, like, like oh, I saw God at work today. Maybe, you know what I mean? Maybe. There are some days where, that, where it's like, wow, that was so God, and that's true. But most of the time, no. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? That is the book of Esther. Especially in this first chapter, you're going to be like, there, there is no God in Persia, okay? Um, he's always there. He's always working for our good, even when we cannot see him, okay? And you'll see King Ahasuerus, which we will abbreviate that name coming up, he... Um, He's kind of one force and God is the other force. And it's just not even close. God is, it is inevitable. He is inevitable all the time. Uh, and we'll, we'll see that as we go. So Esther's a comedy. Esther is the most secular book of the Bible, though that's a joke. Okay. Oh, there's the comedy. There you go. Uh, also timeline. So Esther in the Bible is Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, right? These books are all happening at basically the same time, okay? That's part of why they're stacked together, okay? Um, which is interesting. I just want to be sure. Oh, yeah, they're already there. Um, here's how, here's the, the big picture that you need. Um, so that in Exodus, they get out of Egypt. They wander in the desert through Joshua, and then they get to the promised land, the land of Canaan. You got first and second Samuel, first, second Kings, first, second Chronicles, which is the history of the kingdom of Israel in the land of Canaan. 
Israel does not worship God, okay? They don't worship God. They fall away from God. And as a result of that, Israel is allowed to be taken over by other kingdoms, okay? If you won't obey me, you will cease to be my people, okay? Which is what 1st, 2nd Samuel and 1st, 2nd Kings is all about. Israel just blows it big time. Long story short, they're taken over by Babylon, which we've seen in Revelation, right? But anyway, they're taken over by Babylon, this horrible kingdom. Well, Babylon is taken over by an even worse kingdom called Persia, okay? So Persia is kind of the end of the New Testament, excuse me, the end of the Old Testament, okay? So, but in the Bible, you have Esther, and then you have all these prophets, okay? Well, the prophets are prophesying during 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah. The prophets are taking place during the history, okay? So Esther is kind of the end of the Old Testament in terms of the timeline, okay? Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther are all... So if you look at the Bible, you've got Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. That is basically happening in chronological order, okay? So that's where we are in the Bible. We're approaching the end of the Old Testament, which will come into play at the end of the book, okay? So you're not really just reaching the end of Esther, you're reaching the end of the Old Testament, but right before Jesus comes. Does that make sense? I know that was a lot. Are we all on the same page there? So you go from, you basically go from Joshua to Esther in your Old Testament, if you look at the table of contents, and it's one long story. Remember, Revelation, you don't do chronologically, but Esther is part of a chronological story. Okay. And it's a comedy. All right. So are we all kind of on the same page before we get into it? Let's meet some of our characters. Ty, can you read, and I'll help you with the name, Esther chapter one, verse one. Oh, I'm so excited. This is going to be so good. Cam, I can see you getting excited too. Um, so here we go. Ty, read Esther chapter one, verse one. We're just going to go through verse 12 tonight. So Ty, take it away, buddy. So the king's name is Ahasuerus. Is that yes? How you good job, it? buddy. That was great. All right, pick that up. <laughs> that was All perfect. Right. All right. Now, in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. Good. That was great, Ty. So this king's name is Ahasuerus. We will call him King A for the rest of the study. Okay, because Ahasuerus is just insane, and no one's going to remember it or be able to spell it. Fun fact. Does anyone have a name other than Ahasuerus in their Bible in verse 1? Everybody's got the same thing? Okay, just wanted to make sure. All right, here's why this is important. Ahasuerus is not his real name, okay? And we'll learn this later because Esther is not Esther's real name. Mind blown, right? Ahasuerus is his Hebrew, the Hebrew pronunciation of his name. Remember, this is the Old Testament. This is a book written to the Hebrew people, okay? Ahasuerus is his Hebrew name, because and, and, and he didn't go by his Hebrew name, but this is a Hebrew book for Hebrew people. Does that make sense? We're all on the same page. His Persian name is, and don't worry about it, is <laughs> Krish, right, here we go, Krishayarshan, Krishayarshan, okay? His Greek name is Xerxes. 
some fellows may be familiar with movies that have King Xerxes in them. So if it helps you to remember, it's not the same guy from the 300 movie. Okay, not the same guy. Um, but but it's funny because that is Persia against Greek. So maybe it is the same guy. But anyway, I don't think that's what he looked like. I don't think that's what he talked like anyway. So this is important to remember because everybody in this book is going to go, I think, I haven't checked on Haman, though I'm pretty sure. Everyone in this book is going to go by their Hebrew name, except Esther. Esther's real name is Hadassah, which we'll get to later um, when we get to chapter two, okay? When we meet Esther. But that's huge. Because, but now think about it. Ty, not a trick question. What is the name of this book? Esther. The name of the book is her Persian name. It's not her Hebrew name but it's a Hebrew book to Hebrew people. So the book of Esther is about identity. How do God's people live in a world that wants them to take a different identity? Think about in Revelation, right? Being marked as a follower of the beast, it's not a literal mark, but it's about your identity, right? Esther not taking her Hebrew name is not a good sign, okay? Now, we'll see as we get in, there's more to the story, but already this should be sending up big light bulbs in people's minds of, wait a minute, Esther's, Esther's her pagan name. It's her, this is her Persian name. This is her, this is, this isn't who she is, but it is who she is. So anyway, isn't it so good already? All right, here we go. Um, so Ahasuerus, he is the king of Persia, okay? This is the land of Persia. Shout out to Prince of Persia, the old video game. Uh, so he rules Persia. Remember, Israel was there. They were taken over by Babylon because they didn't obey God. But then Persia took over Babylon. So this, and these guys are the big dogs. Ty, how many provinces is in Persia? 127. 127 provinces. Now, a province isn't a state. It's like if Cam ruled over the province of North Georgia. You see how that's not a state, that's a province, it's an area. So there are 127 provinces in this kingdom. This is a huge kingdom, tons of bureaucracy, huge government. Think about it, you gotta have 127 people to come represent their provinces, et cetera, et cetera. This is a massive government machine, okay? Um, all right, Cam, can you read Esther chapter one, verses two and three? In those days, King A reigned nice. from his royal throne in the fortress of Susa. Mm -hmm. Susa. Susa. He held a feast in the third year of his reign for all his officials and staff, the army of Persia and Medea, the nobles and the officials from the provinces. Good. So this is in Susa. This is the capital city. This is the Washington, D.C. of Persia. And King Ahasuerus is on his royal throne, and he decides that he needs to get all these people together and basically do what, Caleb? What is he doing here in verses two and three? What is his goal? Or what's he doing? We'll get to the goal later. Um, you're talking about King A? Yes. What does he do in verse three in the third year of his reign? Oh, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. All right. Feast is a Shakespearean term. This is a throwdown. This is the most epic this is a party the likes of which you have never seen, okay? You could go to Vegas and Atlantic City and shove them both together, and it would not even compare to this party as we're about to see. 
Um, if you think the Bible is boring, it's because you've never read it, okay? This is a massive party that you would, your parents would have an absolute conniption if you went to this thing, as we're about to see, okay? Now, here's why this is important. And this is what we have to learn from extra biblical literature, meaning literature outside the Bible. King Ahasuerus is about to go to war with Greece, okay? Actually like the movie 300. I I'm not recommending that you go see that, but I'm just giving you some context. He's about to go to war with Greece, okay? He loses this war. Now, Esther is written long after this, okay? But it's already funny because we know that he loses this war. So he's having this massive party. Now, look, um, Cam, can you just read verse 3 again? And look at who this is for, okay? He held a feast in the third year of his reign for all his officials and staff, the army of Persia and Medea, the nobles and the officials from the provinces. So who all is this party for? People, Ty, tell me some people that this party is for. So it's for his officials. Yep. His servants. Yep. And the armies. Let's stop right the there. Okay. The entire army. This is a party that the entire army is invited to. Okay. In the capital. And then also is for who else, Ty? The nobles and the governors. So how many provinces are there? 127. So already your guest list is the 127 most powerful people in the empire, plus the entire army. Think about how much food you need, right? Think about how many tablecloths that is, right? How many gift bags, how many party gifts, how many iPads are you going to give away at this party, right? This is massive. Now, he's having this party. Now, think about it. Why would you need to have a party for the whole army before you're going to war, okay? King A is trying to drum up support, okay? He's bringing all the governors from all the provinces. Why would you need all of them? Well, because you need, you've, you've seen the example, what's mightier, five or one? Well, now look, five, one. You see what I'm saying? That's what he's trying to do. This, this, this separation isn't going to do anything. We've got to come together, and he's trying to get everybody in. Remember, th there, there were no rules. This is the ancient world. This is the Wild West. If you don't, you don't have to be a part of this. Now, he might kill you, but you don't have to be a part of this army. So he's got to bring people in. He's got to get everybody on the same page. He's trying to rally support united so that then we can go to war with Greece together. Okay, does that make sense? And this is hugely important as we get into the rest of the story. All right, Ty, can you just read verse four? While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. So look at this party. Now let's just read this sentence slowly. He is showing the riches of the glory and the splendor of the pomp of his greatness. Cam, if this party is about one person, who is this party about? It's going to be about him. Yeah, I was about to say, please don't say Jesus. Yeah, this party, this is about King A. This is about him. Look at me. I'm awesome. And, and literally... The entire sentence, if you read it in Hebrew, it says, 
King Ahasuerus showed the wealth of the glory of his kingdom and the pomp of the splendor of his greatness. It is, this is a massive party about how great he is. And again, Ty, what is the goal of this party? What's the goal of the party, though? To gain the support. To get the support, to get them to believe in him. Follow me. I'm going to lead you to victory. I, look at how awesome I am. Follow me. And Cam, how long does this party go for? 180 days. 180 days. This is history. This isn't revelation. Revelation is symbolic. This is history. This is literal. This party goes on for half a year. Okay. Now, but think about this. Who, who is at this party? There are specifically two groups that probably don't need to be partying for an entire year out of that list in verse three. The governors. <laughs> the governors. These are the heads of all the provinces. And they're all getting completely wasted for half a year. And then who's the other group that probably shouldn't be here? The army. The army is here. This is where they all are. Who's, who's watching the bank? right? It is absolute chaos for, a for half a year. The entire government, and this just shows how insanely top-heavy the Persian government is. And it also shows, now we're going to get into this later on throughout the book, but we have to be careful when we place too much trust, no, 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 hang on. When we place too much faith in our government system, okay? Now, Romans 13, we're supposed to aid the government. Democracy is the best form of government we've found so far. I'm not trying to be an anarchist. That's, that's nothing like that. But we put so much trust in, well, all we have to do is get them to legislate this law and the world will be better. There's no way that's true. If everyone thinks that abortion is okay and tomorrow you pass a law saying it's illegal, <laughs> this whole group's not going to be like, oh, Oh, well, okay. Um, we get it. It's not, it's not how it works. So we so one of the underlying themes of Esther is the government system and how top-heavy it gets and how we ultimately need to place our faith in God. And we'll see this as we go. We'll see this as we go. Uh, Caleb, would you mind reading verse 5? Sure. Um and when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present and Susa the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. So, Caleb, finally the 180 days are completed. The feast party throwdown is over. So, according to verse 5, how does King A celebrate the end of this 180-day party? A feast. By having another one by having another party to cap off the end of the first party, okay? And as we'll see, this idea of feasting is all throughout the book of Esther. There are actually 10 of them, I think, and we'll go back and see, but they kind of book it. In fact, Esther ends with the Jewish people having a party of their own, which is still celebrated today, okay? Every year, and we'll see as we go, okay? Um, but one of the key parts of Esther is it explains how this Jewish feast called Purim is still in existence today, but we'll get to it later. 
okay? So he ends by celebrating by throwing another party for everyone in the capital city because there's no better way to get everyone's support than by making sure they're all inebriated when they sign the contract, okay? Can you guys hear me? It says my internet connection is unstable. Are we all good? Everybody can hear me good? Okay. But there's more to it than that, okay? Because we don't believe this about alcohol in America or in the 21st century, but, now this is important. In ancient cultures, they believed that being drunk got you closer to the gods. It, it, think about it. If you're, <laughs> I'm not asking you to speak from experience, but when you're drunk, you're, you're kind of out of your self. Does that make sense? You're out of your, I just think it's funny that Ty and Caleb both went and mm, started nodding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's, I'm just picking. I just think it's funny. Uh, they're, but they're both like, mm-hmm. But you're, you're, you're out of yourself. Does that make sense? It's this ecstasy that drives you out of yourself and that they thought it put you into the spiritual. Not to get too inappropriate, but this is why you may have heard in ancient cultures of temple prostitutes. This is where that comes from because the thrill and the ecstasy of sex, they believed, brought you out of yourself closer to the gods. So it's almost like what's going on here is this 187-day worship service, this perverse worship service, this commune. We're going to commune with the gods. Join me, your king, as we commune with the gods, as we leave our bodies behind, as we leave society behind and commune with the higher beings. And this will come back as we get further on. So, um, but here's the other thing that's going on. Now, remember, uh, Cam, what is the ultimate goal of this party? What's the king trying to do? To get support from pretty much everyone. Yes, to gather support from everyone to go to war. Now, here's the other thing. Now, think about it. The pomp and the glory of his, of his palace, et cetera, et cetera. What is, what is something that we, based on that, what is something that we know about King A based on how lavish this party is? He's, he's pretty what? Wealthy. Yes, Caleb. He's loaded. He's super loaded. Now, it wouldn't look very good if I came up to you guys and I was poor and I was beaten up and I was like, will you guys come take my side? You guys would because you're amazing, but you, but most people would be like, no, what's in it? I'm not going to risk my life for you, but if I come to you on a private jet, you know, and we go to my yacht where all my soldiers are there and I tell you, take my side. So, so Ty, if I'm, if King A is super loaded, what's another thing he might be trying to tempt you with by getting you to fight for him. Hey, come fight for me and you can have what? Anything you want. You can have whatever you want. Look, I mean, look at this. This is a 180 day party and I'm not breaking a sweat. I'm the richest person in the world. If you fight for me and we win, you want a house? How about an island? You know what I mean? Like that's the vibe that he's giving off. So he's trying to Come, come commune with the gods with us. Oh, and by the way, if you take my side, 
you'll be able to, your grandkids won't have to worry about money. You see what I'm saying? That's what he's trying to do. That's why he's not, he's a fool. We'll see as we go along, but he's not stupid. See what I'm saying? He's trying to win their support. Look at how wealthy I am. Who wouldn't want to fight for me? You think I'm going to lose? Come on. So that's what he's doing. He's working to gain support. All right, uh, Caleb, can you read verses six and seven? There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars, and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. So again, look how loaded this guy is. I mean, even the cups are made of gold. What do you do when you're done with a cup? They don't, I mean, they can't wash all these. There's, there is no running water per se. So they're just gonna throw them all away and they're made of gold. So again, if you fight for me, look at what I can give you. Now, here's the other thing that's interesting about this verse. Think back in the Old Testament. Let's see how the church kids do here. What other building is described as detailed and lavishly as this in the Old Testament? Take a swing. Sydney, you cooking on something? The tabernacle. The tabernacle in the temple. Yeah. And I would wager that the, oh, good job, Sydney, by the way. I would wager that only the temple, the tabernacle, and Noah's Ark are listed with such detail. Okay. Now, Noah's Ark wasn't as grand as this. But only the Jewish temple, the tabernacle, and the, and the tabernacle was just the tent that Moses and his people, it was the temple before there was a temple, okay? That's what we mean by the tabernacle. So one, it continues this religious tone of the story. Does that make sense? These, these Hebrew people reading this book, they haven't heard a building described like this since their religious temple. And remember, what's, Cam, what was one of the reasons they were getting so drunk in order to, well, no, 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 <laughs> in order to um, get closer to the gods. That's what they thought. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It doesn't actually happen that way, but that's what they thought. So there's this religious tone to what's going on. But also, here's the other thing. By showing Persia's temple in a book that's written to Israel while they are in exile, they're not in Israel anymore. They're taken over by Canaan. And what you do is you spread this people out. If you guys are going to take me over, the last thing I need is for you guys to get together. So I'm separating you all. Does that make sense? Um, by reading this book, these Hebrew people reading it in exile, they are reminded by reading about this Persian temple, they are reminded that theirs is gone, that they failed to obey God. Remember the temple that they had, but now it's been replaced with this perversity, with this disgusting copy where all this debauchery is taking place, that God is supposed to be dwelling in the temple, not this foolishness. And you know what, Israel? It's your own fault. They are not safe. Look at how crazy this society is. Their temple, their shrine of worship is this place of complete chaos. So does that make sense? Their temple has been replaced with this disgusting copy. Ty, can you read verse 8? Yep. And drinking was according to this edict, 
there is no compulsion. For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Ty, can you kind of put that in modern English? What is he saying and what's, what's going on? Uh, so it sounds like that, uh, so the drinking was for a reason and that uh, he gave all his staff orders, like say, you know, whatever person, whatever they want, they'll get. Yeah. So they can drink however much they want for as long as they want and they can do whatever they want while they're in that. This is chaos. It's gross. It's intense. And this is the society that Esther and Mordecai are living in. Okay. Now they already know, like, like the people who are reading the story know that King Ahasuerus loses the war with Greece and he's gone. So why start the story here? Because they're trying to set the scene and show this is the chaotic. I mean, and, and it only gets worse. This is the crazy society that these people are living in. The government has been AWOL for half a year because they're at a party, okay? All right, Cam, can you read verse 9? Um, Queen Vashti. Vashti also gave a feast for the women of King King's A's palace. Yes, okay, perfect, okay. So now we meet our new character, and she's only here for a minute, but if she's very important, we meet Queen Vashti, okay? Queen is the wife of the king, okay? So let's go into what happens with Queen Vashti. Caleb, can you read 10 and 11? On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was buried with wine, he commanded Nahuman, Bizpha, Harbona, Bigpha, Abigpha, Sethar and Carcas, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King A, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown, in order to show that the peoples and the princess her beauty, for she was. Uh -oh. Can you guys hear me? think all right if you guys can hear me i am frozen so i may have to call you guys back let's see are we back you guys all hear me okay yeah everything froze and then could you guys hear me while i was talking my way through that no i don't think so bit. okay that's okay yeah, everything froze and then it just quit. And then I think I was able to get back in. So good job. If that happens again, just stay with the meeting and I'll jump back in or I'll text you guys. So, okay. So, okay. So Caleb, I think you had finished the reading. Um, first of all, golf clap, Caleb. Great job. I forgot those names were all loaded in there and that was, you handled it very well. So first of all, the very first part of, of verse 10, where uh, Caleb was reading, how does this start? What is King A's mental state when this begins? He is what? Drunk. Yeah. So not a good, not a good foot to, to lead with. Okay. So what does he do? He sends in the seven eunuchs to go get Queen Vashti. So first of all, 
there might have been seven because that was how many it took to think about in old movies where you see the queen come in on like that long sofa carried by all these shirtless men. That's kind of the vibe that's going on here. Okay. But these aren't seven men per se. They are what's called, what is, what is the word here, Ty? What are these seven men? You say eunuchs. They're eunuchs. Who knows what a eunuch is? No, I'm not going to draw a diagram. I think it's that Caleb, do either you or Ty know what a eunuch is? Because I'm pretty sure Sydney and Cam both know. Ty, take a swing, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm almost scared to say. <laughs> okay, then that means you're pretty much there. Uh, Sydney, uh, yeah. <laughs> say it in an appropriate way. What is a eunuch? If you were at VBS and you had to explain a eunuch to your group, what would you say? Oh, I don't think Sydney heard me. No, I heard you. It's <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, you muted yourself. Um, Ty, feel our feel our way out there. I don't know what a VBS appropriate definition is. Nice. Any thoughts uh, here, Ty? Is it like a male prostitute? <laughs> no, that's in fact it is the polar opposite. Cam, you're oh. our last hope. I didn't think it would fall to you. <laughs> what is a eunuch? <laughs> My mind's going in so many different directions right now. Yes. And would you think that your Esther Bible study would lead you in these directions? All right, here, here is what this is. A eunuch is a man who has had his private parts removed so that he can no longer engage in that sort of relationship with a woman, okay? <laughs> that's what I meant. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. what I meant. <laughs> there you go, there you go, there you go. So that's what a eunuch is. Now, here, and this, and eunuchs will be a huge theme throughout this book, okay? Again, if you think the Bible's boring, it's because you've never read it, and Esther is the place to start. So here's why. Now, think about this. Why would the king send eunuchs to go get his queen, okay? It's this idea of no man, emphasis on the word man, okay? No mere mortal man can be in the same room with a woman that the king has slept with. Does that make sense? So first of all, no man can be, because if something were to happen, it would make the king look like a fool, but the king, remember, the king was God. He was God. Pharaoh was God, right? Nebuchadnezzar was God. And in the same way with Ahasuerus, that these women are off limits. They have had intimate relations with the presence of the holy, the divine, or so they thought, right? This would be a massive problem in Persian culture if a man was to be in the presence of, unless the king was there too, if a man was to be in the presence of a woman who the king has slept with, this will be, if you know how Esther ends, this will be extremely important later on, okay? This will be extremely important later on. So he sends these eunuchs to go get his wife, okay? And, and now, Caleb, can you just read 11? Um, of Esther 1, you mean? Yes. Okay. Uh, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. All right. So, so 
Ty, well, no, let's get a woman's take. Cam, what is the bad thing that King A is doing with Vashti here? What's he trying to do? What's going on? He's pretty much just bringing her out just to be like, hey, guys, look how pretty my wife is and just enjoy her beauty. Yes, and I'm sure he's saying it way more vulgar than you just did, which is good. And that's exactly right. Notice, now look, look in verse 11. All right, I'm going to read verse 11, and then I'm going to read verse 4. Verse 11, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the people and the princess her beauty. Look at verse four. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and the pomp of his greatness for many days. What's the, what's the common word there? Did you guys Going. catch it? Yes, Ty, to show. Only in verse four, what was King A showing? His riches. His property, yeah. It's the same word because in King A's mind, his wife and his stuff is the same. Does that make sense? So you may want to draw a line between show in verse four and show in verse 11, because he's, like Cam said, he's showing her off like she's just this thing, this property, okay? Um, now again, now, now we get into it though. So he's going, that's his goal. She is going to be the crown jewel. She is the best of his stuff, okay? And we'll get into this more next week. Actually, I'm going to save it for next week. All right, here we go. Let's finish this off. Verse 12, Cam, let's bring us home. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command that was delivered by the eunuchs. Eunuchs, sorry. Enochs. Yep, good. The king became furious and his anger burned within him. If there's one thing you will know by the end of this, this book, it is how to pronounce eunuch, I promise you, for better or for worse. Um, so, what, so, Caleb, what does Queen Vashti do, or what does she not do, maybe, according to verse 12? Verse 12, um, she refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. She won't come in. Now, this is why this is huge. First of all, shame and honor. She has completely embarrassed him. But it goes way deeper than that. Cam, what is the goal of this banquet? What is the goal of this party? To show his wealth and his riches so that people can follow him. So that they will follow him to war. To get people to follow him into battle at his command. Follow my commands into war. And Ty, what has Vashti just done? She said, I ain't coming in there. That's exactly right. She's refused his command. She's totally, she, she to quote, and I'm sure that's the Hebrew, Ty, for exactly how she said it, probably. But look at how devastating this is. This 187 days, guys, millions of dollars have been spent to get Persia to follow King A and his wife has disobeyed him. His wife has refused his command in front of the whole capital. This is the whole point. I know, Ty, I would drop my phone too. It's devastating. Get out of my hair. It's your, I mean, you, bro, you want me to follow you into spears and arrows? And your own wife won't even be in the same room when you ask her to? 
This is a disaster. This is the worst thing. The party has come to a screeching halt. This is a huge problem. Ty, can you read 12 one more time? Yep. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. This word for his anger burning or for enraged, this is the same word used when God gets angry. Not to show that they're the same, but this is how deep his anger is, his wrath, um, which shows us a couple of things, okay? So one, this shows us what a fool King A is, that he is furious because his wife won't come into the same, because his wife is refusing to be ogled at by drunk men, by hundreds of drunken men. But it also shows several other things. One of the themes in the book of Esther is the relationship between men and women, okay? The brokenness shown in King A and Queen Vashti and the goodness of it between Mordecai and Esther. Now, Mordecai and Esther are related. They're not husband and wife or anything, but the way they communicate, the respect and love they have for each other, there's something there, which is super interesting because feminists who look at Esther love Vashti. They hate Esther, which is ironic because Esther's kind of the hero of the story. And Esther does way more for women than Vashti does, which we'll see. And again, we'll get into this much later, but this, is, this has massive implications for how women can, not only how Christians function in a society that hates them, which is the number one role, but also how women function in their biblical role in relation to men. Unbiblical feminism is kind of this boom. Now, what Vashti did is, is fine. There's nothing wrong with what Vashti did. But we're going to see Esther has a much different approach. And this is complicated. So we'll get into this as we get into it. Um, but also, isn't it interesting that, it, that this is thousands of years ago and women are judged by their bodies and men are judged by their power? Well, thank goodness we've evolved so much since then, right? If you think we're so far ahead of the Bible, again, it shows that we just haven't read our Bibles. This is exactly what happens in the world today. Um, also, what kind of husband does this, right? What kind of, remember, King Ahasuerus and Queen Vashti are husband and wife. When we look at this next week, you'll see King Ahasuerus calls her Queen Vashti. They're never referred to as husband and wife. Only King A and Queen Vashti. They never, they're never put together. Um, and we'll see the way King A handles this is the worst way a husband could handle a disagreement with his wife. Let's see. Um, here's the other thing. Now, think about what's happened, what King A has been doing this whole time, who he is, what this is for, and how Vashti responds to him. What is ironic about this? What is the big irony of this whole section? Well, he's not really in control. Ty, you are exactly <laughs> right. Look at all the power this guy has the temple palace that he is doing, the army that he has, 
the, the wealth that he has. And he can't even talk to his own wife. Imagine if King A had an Instagram page. It would be the coolest Instagram page in the world. 180-day party. Wealth that you couldn't even imagine. All this wealth and power. But it's just an appearance. Just like Ty said, as we will see, King A does nothing for himself the entire story. And I don't mean that in he's so powerful, he commands. No, no, no. He is completely passive the entire story. The Bible, which ultimately God, sees King A in all his power as a joke. He doesn't look at, King A is not introduced as how accomplished, how powerful, what a great job he's done. He, he has, his family is destroyed. He has the emotional maturity of an eight-year-old. And this is massively important in our world because think about it. We see sports documentaries of athletes and movie stars and politicians who are rich and powerful. And yet behind closed doors, their life is a joke. It's, it's destroyed. It's a disaster. Their family life is in shambles. Their emotional maturity is, is, you could fit it all on the head of a penny. This is what God works in us. God does not work to make us more accomplished and wealthier, et cetera, et cetera. Now that may happen, but that's not God's aim. God's aim is our depth to give us emotional maturity, to give us the ability to heal our family relationships and learn to forgive each other and bear one another's burdens. God doesn't create wealth in you. He creates depth in you. And that's what King A is blatantly missing. All the wealth, none of the depth. Does that make sense? And that's what God works in us through suffering and hard times. But think about it, that's the theme of Esther. All the difficulties are serving they're serving to help us. Here's part of why Esther is a comedy, because if you think you see a tidal wave coming towards you, that's going to be horrifying. And then you learn that this tidal wave is going to dip under you and lift you straight up to heaven. This thing that was meant to destroy you is actually going to bring you closer to God. It's this idea. It's not this idea of like, you find out you have terminal cancer and you just start busting out laughing. I would think you've kind of come unhinged, right? But you learn that at the end of this terminal cancer, once you have left your body, you will actually get to be with Jesus forever in unending happiness. It's not like ha-ha funny, but it creates a smile in the midst of devastating circumstances. That's what it means that Esther is a comedy. It creates this idea of us laughing at all these forces that are surrounding us to destroy us. They're actually going to help us. Even death itself is, is the ultimate butler. What does the butler do? He, he opens the door for you and he shows you into where the master is dwelling. Does that make sense? 
That's what death is the butler now. And as we'll see in the book of Esther, all these forces that are conniving to destroy God's people actually serve to help. And in the same way in our own lives, the stressors and the agonies and the, and the awful things that happen still hurt. We're not, don't, be, don't be a fool. They still hurt. But even that pain is part of the surgery God is doing to heal our soul. It's working to help us. Romans tells us that we are more than conquerors. Have you heard this before? You're more than a conqueror. How, do you, how, how can you be more than a conqueror? Once you've conquered them, you, that's, that's the whole point. The only way you can be more than a conqueror is a conqueror defeats the bad guy. More than a conqueror is everything the bad guy does just helps you defeat him even more. Does that make sense? A conqueror goes head to head and I finally win. More than a conqueror is through Jesus, everything the bad guy does is just going to help me. The more this cancer destroys my body, the closer and closer I'm getting to finally get to walk through that door to be with Jesus forever. You see what I'm saying? And, and, we'll, and this is a huge concept, so we'll get through more as we go through this. Um, last but certainly not least, it shows the toxic, how toxic relationships are when they're based solely on sex. That's why he wanted Vashti. Does that make sense? And, and I mean, if he wants to show her off to the kingdom, Vashti is clearly good looking according to the standards of that time, whatever that was. Um, but look at how, dev think about Ruth and Boaz. Wow, that's huge. Think about Ruth and Boaz versus King A and Vashti. I mean, good Lord. It's like, it's like they're aliens compared to Boaz and Ruth. Think about how deep that relationship was versus how devastating this one is. And as we're going to see, the way King A handles Vashti not coming is, is embarrassing to say the least. It gets even worse. But in the backdrop, there's this idea of, man, it's funny, but golly, dude, this is your marriage. This is your marriage. What has happened? So anyway, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is going to be awesome. It only gets better. It's a great story. Um, I am going to go eat because I am about to pass out. Ty, can you pray for us and we'll be done? Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for letting us use this technology during this time to grow closer to each other and grow closer to you. I ask that you just allow us to, to reflect on this passage that we learned and, and just uh, read it throughout the week and, and be ready to learn more next time. In your precious name, amen. Amen. All right, guys. Love you guys. Don't use King A as an example this weekend, right? Uh, be safe. Have a good time. Uh, love you guys, and I'll see you guys hopefully Sunday for Revelation, and if not, it'll be next Thursday for Esther, okay? All right. Bye, guys. Bye, Ryan.